All right, Soma, how are you guys doing? Hey, I was here. good to see you, man. Good to see you. <laughs> All right, how are you guys doing tonight? Woo! Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, I think Brandon already asked this, but how many of you guys are in finals this coming week? Oh, wait, how about the next week? Oh, I know, that sucks. Finals are terrible. Anyway, so, uh, as some of you guys know, last week I was in Guatemala, uh, and I had the opportunity uh, to do some ministry, visit with some family, and while I was over there, I had the opportunity to do ministry with a bunch of uh, rural pastors and a bunch of inner city pastors, Uh, And when I was spending time with them, I heard story after story after story uh, of the kind of suffering that some of these pastors endure. You see, while Guatemala is advanced in a lot of ways, um, I visited a mall that was honestly like rivals the new Topanga Village, for those of you who are into shopping and stuff. Um, But at the same time, you get a lot uh, uh, of gangs, out there, and it's the same sort of gangs that you have over here. MS-13, 18th Street, all those sorts of gangs um, have a lot of power over there. So I heard story after story of pastors being threatened by some of these gangs, being jumped, family members being held hostage. And at the same time, I also heard stories of how God just miraculously intervened in some of these situations. For example, one story I heard from one of the pastors was that he and his wife were driving, And all of a sudden, they get boxed in by two cars, and two motorcycles pull up next to them. And they just stop them right there in the middle of the street. And these guys from the motorcycles get get off their motorcycles, guns pointed at the pastor and the pastor's wife, who's riding in the front seat. And the pastor's wife, remember, guns pointed at her head, just takes her finger at the gun and says, In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, point that gun away from me. And the guy just like drops the gun and goes. The pastor, he just starts praying in tongues. The guy freaks out so much, he just drops his gun and just books it. And they just like make their way out of there because the bad guys are gone. There was another story of a pastor who, um, he was by himself at church and his office was like upstairs, let's say sort of like in the main auditorium where you have like above the donuts. Let's say like that's the pastor's office, right? So there's this guy who walks down the courtyard uh, and he yells through the pa- to the pastor who's in this upstairs window. He's like, hey, are you alone in here? And the, guy, the pastor's like, uh, I can't hear you? Because <laughs> it's like, oh, should I tell him I'm alone? Anyway, so <clears throat> if that was me, I would be like, no, I'm not alone. Oh, I am alone, or I would just book it. But you'd probably die anyway. So, um, so... The pastor knows he has to, like, meet this guy downstairs. So he goes downstairs to this guy. And the guy is going through the entrance, walking through the, like, the front aisle where the pulpit is. And the gangster walks in. Uh, and this guy is, like, all tatted up. You know, just typical, like, when you think of an MS-13 guy, face tattoos, body all tattooed, the head tattooed all over. And this guy says to the pastor, he's like, hey, are you pastor so-and-so? And the pastor's like, yes, like, I am. And the gangster says, well, I'm here to kill you. So the pastor's, obviously, he's like freaked out. But the gangster starts walking down the aisle. And as he starts walking down the aisle, all of a sudden, he just like drops to his knees. And he just starts crawling down the middle of the aisle to this pastor. And the moment he makes it to the, knee, to the, to the feet of the pastor, he's on his knees. And he's just bawling. And he says that he can't kill 
the pastor and that he wants the pastor to pray for him so that he can just leave this lifestyle. And the pastor asks him, he's like, hey, what, what all of a sudden caused this change of heart? And the guy replied, that when I started walking towards you, I saw your bodyguards. And the pastor's like, my bodyguards? Like, what do you mean, my bodyguards? And he was like, yeah, your bodyguards. Like, when they just stared at me, like, when they looked me in the eyes, it was like they were just staring me through my soul. And in that moment, he, he sort of realized, he was like, oh my gosh, like, there were no bodyguards. Like, this was the Lord sending angels to protect me from this guy. So those are the kinds of stories that you hear. But at the same time, there are other stories where people actually get killed. People actually get held hostage. Churches get burnt down. Houses get burnt down. And that's real persecution, right? You don't have to fly to the Middle East or go over to China to hear about these things. These things are happening a four-hour flight away from us. But you don't have to go to another country to hear about suffering, to hear about pain. And I'm sure all of you guys have been following the news or social media this week um, with the whole uh, incident in San Bernardino. 14 people killed and dozens just injured, right? And and regardless of where you stand uh, on gun control issues, uh, the fact is that those families of the victims are suffering, right? The families of the ones who passed away, the families of the ones who were injured, the people who were just in that building just seeing what happened, right? All of that incident is now going to take a toll upon the rest of their lives. And in the middle of all that suffering, it's like, where do people turn to? Right? Do they turn to God? Because they say, like, this stuff keeps on happening. Like, you turn to God and this stuff doesn't stop happening. People say that we need some sort of practical solution. And then you get headlines like this one. I don't know if you guys saw this one. Um, the New York Daily News. God isn't fixing this. Basically, there was this huge backlash because people were tweeting out their prayers uh, or, or their thoughts or their support and prayers for people. And the New York uh, Daily News said this is impractical. Like, God isn't fixing this. You can tweet out your prayers all day long. But then look at this. This is a a clip from uh, an article in The Atlantic where um, basically it's about this backlash against prayer. So it says, The most powerful evidence against this backlash towards prayer comes not from the Twitterverse, but from San Bernardino. Pray for us. A woman texted her father from inside the Inland Regional Center, while she and her colleagues hid from the gunfire. Outside the building, evacuated workers bowed their heads and held hands, and they prayed. See, in the middle of all of this suffering, in the middle of all of this pain, this lady and her friends and her family, they prayed, because they believed that there really was hope, right? That's why they prayed. They believed that it would do something. And that's exactly the sort of thing that the Apostle Paul is saying to us in this passage that we're looking at today. In Romans eight eighteen, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So why can Paul make such a bold claim, right? How can he be so confident in this hope that one day is supposed to come? It's because of the Holy Spirit. That's why. So as we look at the rest of what Paul says tonight, we're going to see that in the midst of our suffering, and in the midst of our pain, in the midst of losing family members, in the midst of betra- being betrayed by friends, by broken family relationships, and even in the suffering that comes with battling sin that you hate, in the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit 
gives us hope that one day things are going to be all right. And more than all right, that one day things are going to be so much more gloriously better than you could ever imagine. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, you are the hope. God, you're the hope of the world. God, you're the hope of the nations. God, you are our personal hope. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage tonight, God, that in the middle of whatever we're going through, whether that's right now or whether that's in the present or that that's going to be in the future, God, that we would look to you as our hope. God, I pray that your words that were written 2,000 years ago by Paul, God, that those words would encourage us, would spur us on. Lord, speak to each and every one of us here tonight. Let our hearts and our ears and our minds be open to whatever it is you have for us tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, for those of you who are new, my name is Chris Wozniacki, and you can call me Woz. And right now we're in the last series in a series of series in the book of Romans. And this one is called The Hope. And we've basically been seeing how salvation, uh, in the first two series, we sort of looked at how salvation, um, first off, how the gospel rescued us from the penalty of sin. The second series, we looked at how the gospel sets us free from the effects of those sin. And in this series, we're looking at how our salvation isn't just some sort of future hope. That salvation isn't just about forgiveness and just about uh, eternal life. Right? That salvation is actually a lot more than that. That salvation includes the hope that we can conquer our sin. Right, The hope that uh, our salvation is secure and that we can't lose that. And the hope that suffering is not the last word. In other words, we've been looking at how the gospel brings us hope, not just in the future, but in the here and now. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. So once you get it, can I get a loud word? Awesome. So cool. All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, that's a really bold, strong claim that Paul is making there. Because at times, it really doesn't feel like that, right? Like our suffering, our pain, the stuff that we go through can feel so overwhelming. It can feel like it's just tunnel vision, right? Like that's the only thing that's happening in our lives right now. Like that's the only thing we can actually focus on. And that just, it sucks. It absolutely sucks. When a parent dies, when your father leaves your family, right? When you've been abused, when you struggle with a sin that you feel is such a part of you that you absolutely hate, all of those things make it really hard to feel as though that glory that's going to come one day actually solves a problem, right? And I don't want to be insensitive because I know how some of those things feel. But the truth is that our suffering the pain that we go through, no matter how horrible it is, doesn't even compare to the glory that's promised to us if you're in Christ, right? And it's hard to feel that when when you're suffering. But when you see that glory, you're suffering, and this is not my own words, like this is God's own words, your suffering will 
not even compare to that glory, right? Because that glory is so much greater. For example, let's say um, you like sushi, right? Like It's like having sushi from sugar fish and then eating sushi from 7-Eleven. It's like never, never again, right? You'll never, ever eat sushi from 7-Eleven. I don't know who would do that in the first place. But, or it's like eating street tacos in Mexico, right? Like this is the epitome of tacos. Like the glory of street tacos compared to the glory of Taco Bell. Like that's not even tacos, right? Or my favorite, and this is for those of you who are going to Uganda with us. It's like drinking Stoney's ginger ale, right, in Uganda. It's, it's ginger ale that's, you'll never have anything like it in America. Honestly, that ginger ale ruined the taste of all ginger ales for me here because there's nothing that compares to it. It's, I know, all of those are food examples. That's because food is glorious, and I love food. Um, that's my picture of glory is just food. Give me a really good burger, like not, not like this nasty gourmet burger. I don't like gourmet burgers. I just like them just plain cheese, meat, bread, California style, and an out burger. Okay, anyway, so that has nothing to do with anything. The point is that what awaits us is this glory. And notice this. It doesn't just say that one day we're going to see this glory and that all of our pain and suffering is going to be incomparable c- compared to that. No, he says that God's glory is going to be seen in us. Right? God's glory is going to be seen in us. That's absolutely crazy. God is going to share his own glory with us. You know, God's glory is the outward shining of his inner life. Right? It's the invisible part of God made visible. Right? And it's, that's the hope that we have, that one day we're going to have that glory, that one day he's going to share that with us, that one day we're going to possess that fully. How crazy is that, that God himself is going to share his glory with us, and it's going to be seen in us, and it's going to be present in us. So that's the promise that we have, right? Even in the midst of suffering, we have this hope that one day God's glory is going to be seen in us. But we aren't there yet, right? This world is a world of suffering. So if you're taking notes, here's your first point. The problem. The problem is that suffering is the norm. Suffering is the norm. You can't escape suffering, right? It's all around us. It's a daily experience. Not to harp too much on <coughs> what happened this weekend, this week in San Bernardino, but consider this fact. This year alone, there have been 365 mass shootings. And regardless of what you believe about gun control, whether you're pro, against, whatever, it doesn't matter, Right? Because that's not a number, right? Those are victims that have suffered, right? People that have died. Families that are now left without a loved one. People that have been there witnessing that. Now their entire life has been marked by this sort of event, right? Suffering is a daily thing. 365 of those shootings. That's more than an average. That's an average of more than one per day, right? Suffering's a daily sort of thing. But Paul says suffering isn't just a human thing. He says that suffering's a thing that creation deals with too. And if it's a problem that creation deals with as well, not just us, we know it's a big problem. So uh, starting at verse 19. The creation waits eager, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to the decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul says creation suffers. Right, the earth is a mess. Regardless of whether you think this mess is natural, or would have happened anyway, or whether humans had something to do with this mess that creation is in, no one can deny that creation is a mess. Right, there's death, right, disaster, famine, flooding, earthquakes, polar bears melting. Not polar bears melting. <laughs> polar be- the polar bears are melting, people. Creation is a mess. No, ice caps melting, polar bears drowning, and all that fun stuff. Um, and basically, creation, Paul just said, waits for the day that it's going to be set free from this suffering. It waits for its liberation. But notice this, and I don't know if you've ever caught this when you're reading this passage, but Paul says that this liberation that creation is waiting for only comes when we Christians, and it says, when the children of God are fully revealed. Right? Creation's destiny is tied to us as believers. You see, God, in the beginning, he created all things, right? And he handed the keys, so to speak, of creation to the first human beings, Adam and Eve. It's basically like your dad giving you the keys to like a brand new Maserati or something. He's like, hey, here, here's a key. Not a Maserati. Your dad probably would never buy you that. Um, I, I used Honda Civic, okay? Um, no, because creation is a lot better than that in its original state. So it's like a really nice car. He hands you the keys. He says, hey, this is yours. Take care of it. Do with it what you want. So God gives Adam and Eve the keys to creation, right? And he gives them this role. And that's actually what it means to be created in the image of God. See, in the ancient Near East, what kings would do is that they would set up this statue or this sort of image. And you kind of see this in the book of Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They set up this statue in this far-off place of the empire, and basically that statue is supposed to represent them. And when people see that statue, they're supposed to think that the king still rules here in this place. So that's basically what humans are as the image of God. They're these little statues, these little images. uh, They're reminders of the fact that God still rules here over this place. So God said to human beings, and this is what we call the cultural mandate, he says, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Work the garden and take care of it. Well, then the enemy came. Right? He, he tempted Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve fell. They gave in to sin. They gave in to te- temptation. They disobeyed God, and they ended up messing up that role that God had originally given them. See, when humanity fell, it's lost, it lost its position of ruling. We can no longer take care of creation as God had intended it to be. So then God pronounced this curse over creation, saying that the earth is going to produce thorns and thistles, that it won't produce good fruit, that death is now going to be a part of creation, that the earth will suffer. And this curse that came upon creation all came because of us and our sin. And again, that's not the way it was meant to be. The way it was meant to be was that human beings were created to take care of God's creation. They were supposed to fill the earth, right, and subdue it. They were supposed to work the garden, and take care of it. And the culture that we live in today takes both of these sorts of commands and basically messes them up really badly by going to one end of the spectrum or to the other. 
Right? On one end of the spectrum, you get super crazy hyper environmentalists, right? Who believe that animals or the environment have more, the same, if not more, worth than human beings. Right? There's this guy Edward Abbey. He's a really famous uh, environmentalist, and basically he he says that he would rather kill uh, a, accidentally kill a human being than a snake. See, that's like the extreme, like environmentalism taking to the extreme, Mother Earth worship, pagan stuff. All right. On the other hand. You have Republicans. Okay, just, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> anyway, you have... That's a joke. Um, you have people... That's not a joke. I mean, it is a joke. Um, yes, it's a joke. So, anyway, you have people who feel that creation is merely exists for our sake. Right? That uh, you can do whatever you want with creation... Uh, because ultimately it comes down to my pleasure and my comfort, right? That creation is just something to be used and dominated uh, for our consumption. And people even get angry if you suggest, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't, maybe we should, like, look into alternate fuel sources. They're like, no, that's, what are you, like, a communist hippie? No, we don't do that sort of stuff. We drill. Um, anyway, both of these ends of the spectrums are both extremes, Right? Neither of these is what the Bible teaches, right? But the Bible does teach that Earth's destiny is tied up to ours, right? That we're unable, because of our sinful state, to carry out what God originally made us to do, right? To, to help creation flourish for the glory of God. And because we're sinful, we can't make it happen. We can't play the role that we're supposed to play. Um, British Bible scholar Charles Cranfield puts it this way. He says, We may think of the whole magnificent theater of the universe together with all its splendid properties, created to glorify God, but unable to do so fully, as long as a man, the chief actor in the drama of God's praise, fails to contribute his rational part. So we're like this actor who's supposed to play this role in this drama that is creation. Right? But because of sin, we're like this drunk actor who comes out, he's like stumbling, can't even say his lines. It's like, to be or not to be? That's the problem. <laughs> like, no, dude, like, that's not even your line. You're drunk. Just like, go home. Go home, buddy. That's creation. Creation suffers because we can't actually fulfill our role. So here's your second feeling. Even though suffering is daily, even though creation suffers, there is hope. That's the truth, that there is hope. And the Holy Spirit is proof. Let's keep on reading, um, picking up at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul says creation groans, as in the pain of childbirth. You know, I think there's only really one way to illustrate this. I don't know if you guys remember in like 8th or ninth grade, you guys watched like a live birth. Do any of you guys do that? Um, Well... Um, what's coming is that I'm not going to show you the live birth. Um, I'm just going to ask you to remember that traumatic experience of sitting in ninth grade, seeing that 
horror for the first time. Um, so you're welcome that I didn't show that to you. Um, honestly, I've been thinking a little bit about that because my wife, um, Amelia, is having a kid soon, or I'm having a kid soon as well. And uh, I'm just pray for that baby every day, and I also pray for myself, thanking God that I'm not the one who's going to have to push that baby out. So, uh, anyway, Paul says that creation groans, right, as it waits for us to take on this role that we originally had. But just like creation waits for its redemption, we ourselves also wait for redemption. We wait for that day when suffering is going to end, when sin is going to be no more, when there'll be no more death, when there'll be no more tears, no more pain, right? We all wait for the day. But the difference between us and creation is that we have the first fruits. So what are those first fruits? The first fruits are sort of agricultural term. Um, Basically, they're like the first fruits of the season, right? Um, They're the first set of crops that come out. And they show that there's actually going to be a harvest, right? They're sort of like a promise or sort of like a guarantee that harvest will actually come. And when it comes to suffering, these first fruits that Paul is talking about, which is the Holy Spirit, are proof that one day hope will actually come true. Right? So in a few weeks, uh, the team, a team from here from Soma is going to be going to Uganda. And um, I'm absolutely stoked for that. The first time I went was in 2007. And it was absolutely life-changing spiritually for myself, personally. I went back in 2009, and it was life-changing in a different way. Because that was when I realized or knew that I was going to marry what was going to one day be my wife, Amelia. So so she had no clue uh, at the time. In fact, she wasn't even like into me uh, (laughs) on that trip. But I had my eye on her the whole time. Not like in a creepy sort of way. um, Like in a romantic way, you know? Like in a romantic way. So let's just say I noticed her. Like I hadn't really noticed her. We've, we've talked about this before. I haven't really noticed her. So at the end of the trip, I wrote on, in my journal that one day I'm going to marry this girl, which is really dangerous to write something like that because what if you don't marry her? <laughs> then that would be, uh, you'd have to explain that to your future wife. Who, who is this lady that you thought you were going to marry? But I knew it was from the Lord. So um, anyway, so I, the hope was that I was going to marry her one day. But at that point in time, when I was writing in my journal, that was just a hope, right? There was no guarantee. And it's until I put that ring on her finger, right? When I, when I put on that engagement ring, we weren't married yet, but it was a sort of guarantee that that was going to happen one day, right? If, if anybody wanted proof that I was going to marry her, she just had to flash that big old diamond in their face, <laughs> all right? That's, that's all she had to do. And, and it's the same way uh, the, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is proof. Right? You want to know that there's going to be hope in the future? Right? You just have to see the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's proof that there's going to be hope in the future. It's not a blind sort of hope. Right? We know for a fact because we have proof now right? that the future, there's not going to be suffering. The future is actually going to end in glory. But we don't have to wait for the future. Right? We get hope now. So here's our third filling. Third fill-in is that the helper, or the helper, is the Holy Spirit. There'll be more to that. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So Paul says that just like creation groans, and just like we groan, the Holy Spirit himself groans with us. When I think of groaning, I think of a clip from a certain show. Um, Why don't we go ahead and show this clip? You guys think that's funny because he's groaning and it's stupid. But there's actually, it's actually a deep, deep social commentary on the fact that, um, (laughs) I'm not even going to go there. Um, Daily futility of life is simply unutterable. The pain, (laughs) whatever. Anyway, so none of that's true. It's just just funny. Um, But that's the reaction that we get when we're in pain, right? It's like groans. You eat a bad fish taco, or you drink the water in Mexico, or you eat a burger from Tommy's, especially that last one. The result, the reaction is groans. It's like, oh my gosh, like my stomach, like it hurts, right? Nobody says like, oh, well, I have some sort of gastrointestinal irritation, which was caused by the beans in this chili, which contain uh, this this compound called oligosaccharides, which my body cannot digest, and that's why I'm in this pain. Nobody says that, right? You just say, oh my gosh, like, why did I ever eat Tommy's? This was so stupid, right? You say it hurts. Never eat Tommy's again. You groan because you don't know what's wrong, right? You don't know how to fix it. You just know that it hurts, and it's the same thing with pain in life. Like, you don't know how to fix it. You just know that it hurts, right? And in the middle of that hurt, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and he comforts us. He groans alongside of us. He's like that friend who, who, when you're hurting, comes alongside of you and just sympathizes with you. He just cries there with you. He just sits there with you in the middle of your pain. And that's how the Holy Spirit comforts us. That's the other part of your fill-in. He comforts he does that by coming alongside of us and sympathizing with us in those groans he shares in that pain that we have. But also, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need in the middle of your suffering. It's like, do you need comfort? Do you need peace? Do you need strength? He knows exactly what you need. And guess what? And this is absolutely mind-blowing. The Holy Spirit prays for you. He intercedes for you in the middle of your pain. He prays for you while you're suffering. He knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly what to ask God the Father to give you. 
which is absolutely crazy, right? Like if you have a friend who, who happens to pray the right thing for you all the time, it's like, that's awesome, right? How much more the Holy Spirit who actually knows exactly what you need coming before God the Father and asking those things for you. So here's the point of all of this. Suffering is the norm, right? Suffering is a daily thing. It's unavoidable. And sometimes there are seasons when suffering comes in big waves, and there are other seasons where it's less of a continual sort of thing. But we have the Holy Spirit who is proof that one day suffering is going to end, and he's the one who helps us in the middle of our suffering. So tonight I just have two questions for you guys. The first question is, how are you suffering? How are you suffering? Have you lost a loved one? Do you have a friend who just stabbed you in the back? Or someone that you were in a relationship with that just stabbed you in the back? Are you in anguish over some sort of sin that you absolutely just hate? Are you suffering because you don't see the point of life or you don't see the trajectory that your life, that you thought your life should be headed in, right? Are you the victim of family problems, right? The Lord sees all of those things and he knows exactly where you're at, right? And he knows that you're suffering. But have you told him those things? Have you shared with him how you feel, just completely open and honest with him? Have you brought those things before him, right? The second question is, where are you turning in your suffering? Where are you turn, what are you turning to in your suffering? Are you turning to substances, whether they're illegal or illegal, to numb the pain or to not think about it? Or are you turning to harming yourself because somehow that takes away the pain of those things? It makes it feel better. It's like, where are you turning? Are you turning to other people? Right? There's something healthy in sharing suffering with people that we're walking with. But there's a fine line between leaning on other people, right? And, and making someone else your hope. Right? It's called codependence. Or most likely, are you leaning on yourself in the middle of your suffering? Do you think that you can handle things on your own power and on your own strength? Because we're taught from a very early age that you shouldn't depend on anyone else. That if you're actually strong, you should be able to carry things out by yourself. Right? That if you need anyone else, you're just a little baby or whatever. Right? But the fact is you can't carry those burdens of suffering on yourself. You need to humble yourself. You need to submit those things to God. Because God is actually the only one who can help you in those things. So I invite you to do that. Right? I actually just plead with you to do that. Like You can't carry these things on your own. You have to give them over to God because he's the only one that can comfort you and encourage you in those times. And honestly, like you may not even know what you need in those moments. Right? And maybe you've experienced things that are just too deep for words to express. But know this, that when you've run out of words, as this passage says, that the Holy Spirit is within you, groaning these unutterable prayers to God on your behalf. Right? When you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And he knows exactly what you need. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and call up the band. And um, I just want us to just take a moment before the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask them to sort of just dim the lights because we're going to do just spend some time before the Lord um, on our own. 
And what I want us to do is just um, sit silently before the Lord for a second. Instead of just dumping it all out to him, um, instead of just verbal vomiting everything that you're thinking about, everything that you're going through right now, I would just invite you to just spend 30 seconds and just silence and, and, and let just sort of let the Holy Spirit pray on your behalf, bring those things before God the Father, and let him minister to you in the middle of all of this. Let me go ahead and pray for this time, and then the band will go ahead and lead us into some worship. Holy Spirit, we just thank you And even in times when we don't even know what to say, when we don't even know what to pray for, that you're praying for us, that you give us the words to lift up to you. Lord, I pray that right now, God, just in this time of silence and contemplation, God, that we would just be able just to silence silence our hearts and our minds and just let you minister to us wherever we're at. Praise in Jesus' name.